Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Okay, so I just wanted to take a minute. Um, I'll have you guys join me in prayer just for a minute. Um, But today on November 5th is a day that uh, we recognize as an international day of prayer for the persecuted church around the world. I wanted to read a scripture for you guys, and then we'll pray together. It's an important day to remember. Uh, I mean, next week we'll be uh, doing a little something for Remembrance Day as well. Um, Today, just throughout this day, just ask God how you can pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, in Canada and abroad as well. Um, But in Romans 8.18, it says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Who's excited to see the glory that he's, he's bringing to this earth? Amen. Let's just take a minute and, uh, and join me in prayer, okay? Father, we just uh, we thank you so much that we can come here and spend time just worshiping you, uh, just lifting your name high, just being together in fellowship. God, I, I just thank you that in John 16, it says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Father, I just thank you that no matter uh, where we look, we look around and there's a lot of chaos, but God, we know that in every situation you have overcome it. God, we just thank you for your body of Christ around the world, Lord, that endure trials and endure hardships. God, we just pray for deliverance and we pray for freedom. We pray that chains break and bondage is broken. God, we just declare peace and joy amongst your body. Lord, it says in your word that in, in your presence is the fullness of joy, God. Your presence brings peace too. God, we just thank you that as believers here in Canada, as believers around the world, we get to have a joy and a peace that makes absolutely no sense to anybody around us. God, but everybody else would look and just see this, this bright, bright light coming from your body everywhere that they look. God, a, a peace that is so desirable and a joy that's so desirable and that each and every person would just want what you have brought here, Lord. So God, we just, we just pray a blessing over those around the world who just continue to endure such persecution and hardship. Lord, we, uh, we also pray for those who persecute you, your body too, Lord. We just ask for just miraculous transformation in their lives too, God. You would create avenues in, in all of their lives and there'd be radical changes in, in people who once persecuted your name. But um, Lord, we just see them come to know you and be amazing vessels for your kingdom, God. We just, um, just declare the transformation of, of so many Sauls into Pauls and we, we'd see so many of those stories too, Lord. Um, and they would be uh, just walking testimonies for your kingdom. Um, God, your word says that uh, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Lord, we just thank you so much that each and every person in this room has a testimony. Each and every person around the world who continues to endure hardships has a testimony as well, Lord. We'd see so many souls saved, so many come to your kingdom. Lord, we just pray a, a massive blessing, an outpouring of your love, an outpouring of your favor on those who are, are struggling to see the light in the darkness. God, would you just reveal yourself today in a way that um, we've never seen before, Lord. And we just thank you and are so excited to see you move in this world. Lord, you raise up believers from every nation uh, to just bring your glory to the ends of the earth. God, we thank you that we get to be those, uh, those people. Lord, we get to uh, just be vessels for your kingdom. Uh, Lord, just pray a blessing over this day. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. So last week, Pastor RJ gave an amazing message on the days are evil. This week, we will continue the I Will series, and it is I Will Keep You. If we can welcome Pastor RJ up. So there's a showdown today before you walk away. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Brady Bunch, Endon, how do you say it? Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch is going up against Amplified today. It's intense. Yeah. You're going to win. Yeah. That's all I have to say. We know. <laughs> we play fantasy football in the same league. And, uh, yeah, today's not a good day for my team. <laughs> I, I think it's something about the bye weeks and the injured reserve. And I'm like, of all weeks, to have to play Karen. <laughs> I believe in miracles. It's not going to happen. Okay. Hey, I, I wanted to thank all of you who came alongside us and served at the Journey to the King personally. We had a really good time with all the uh, children and young adults that are young people that came out and the parents came out. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I, I got to work in the inflatables room uh, with the bouncy castles and my team was great. And uh, I even got to test out the jousting with my wife. We won't talk about that. <laughs> And uh, yes, last week had a lot of fun with Pastor Larry talking about Beware the Days Are Evil. And he, the week before that, when we were away, he was launching the I Will Make You Fishers of Men. So we're going to continue the I Will statements of Jesus today. Over the next, I don't know, three or four hours. We, how many of you enjoyed the extra hour of sleep? Some of you, yes. How many of you showed up early for church today because you didn't set your clocks back? <laughs> Yeah, one or two. So listen, um, I find it interesting when we look at the I will statements of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about his statement, I will keep you. Okay. But interesting enough, if you look at the scriptures, Satan actually made some I will statements as well in Isaiah 14. If you were to read verses 13 and 14, you'll see that Satan said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, and I will ascend to the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high. Now, Satan, he's all about himself. He's all about pride, his rebellion against God. He's about his arrogance. He's about his, his self-will, his selfish ambition, his desires, um, his self-reliance without God. Somewhere in that conversation when Satan said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, God looked at him and went, yeah, you think you will, will you, do you? And later we see Jesus in his account of that conversation, and he said, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Shortest war history ever records from the time that it took lightning to go from the sky to the earth <laughs> is the amount of time that it took Satan in his rebellion against God um, to be judged. So, then God himself made some I will statements in Exodus chapter 6. If you were to read verses 6, 7, and 8, he was speaking. And he said, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. He's talking to his people. I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God. I will bring you in unto the land, and I will give it to you for a heritage. So he's making some promises to his people. I want you to note when God makes a promise, there was hope, there was freedom, there was comfort, especially to the nation of Israel. And 
what we have to understand is ultimately that's comfort for you and I because guess who came forth from the nation of Israel? I heard someone say it, Jesus, the Messiah. He separated a man, Abraham, from which he brought forth a nation, and then he isolated one household, David, and from the line of David, he brought forth Jesus, the Messiah. So all the nations of the earth are ultimately blessed because of the promises that God made. Now, Jesus, when he was here on earth, we went through the I am statements that Jesus did um, a little while ago, and now we're working through the I will statements that he made. And it's it's interesting because today's statement, I will keep you, is found right in that passage in John 6. And around verse 30, it starts the context, I guess, for this conversation. And it kind of goes through down to verse 40. But right in there, he says, I, I will keep you. I will sustain the ones that have been given to me. So it seems like some people accepted his word and some people rejected his word. In the beginning, the ones that rejected his word, they end up on the outside looking in. The ones that accept his word, they're the ones that make it. Now, how many know there's, and I don't want to get into the theology of the two kingdoms, but simply, how many know there's two kingdoms that are operating in the earth today? There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of this world. Now, how many know that governments that rule over nations and peoples either acknowledge the most high God, the supreme ruler of the universe, and purpose to listen to him and follow in his ways and obey him and judge accordingly and make laws accordingly, or by default, if they're not serving the most high God, who are they serving? Okay, I know you had an extra hour of sleep, but we're awake, right? <laughs> so, so see, they're either acknowledging God or they're failing to acknowledge God. And by default, they're not serving in God's kingdom. So government, you got to understand, as an entity, which is designed to be by the people, for the people. We doing okay? Government is supposed to have your best interest in mind, not their own personal pocketbooks. Oh, keep this in mind. So back in 1961, it's a little while ago, eh? I wasn't even born then. Most of you weren't. Some of you were. The U.S. President, Dwight Eisenhower, gave his farewell address to the nation, and he used a couple terms in that speech that I want to point out to you. One was the military-industrial complex. He didn't coin it, but he put that term in his speech back in 1961, which is like 50, 60 years ago, 60 years ago. And then he went on to comment about public policy could itself become captive to a scientific technological elite because governments were driving all this research and they were going to use that research to control people and make money for themselves. He warned, I'm sorry? Yes, thank you, 62 years. So, he was warning us just more than six decades ago that there's a dangerous potential for corruption in government through war and science to gain power and money. 
You're acting like this is new information. <laughs> Engaging in war and its horrors for financial gain or to consolidate power and using science to create a technological elite um, ruling class, we're in the conversation some 62 years ago. So my point is, there's been some things that have been discussed for a very long time that you see playing out in the earth today. Now, in Canada, we have had scandal after scandal on multiple levels of government that we've observed in our lifetime. Some local, some provincial, and some federal. I remember the one scandal with the HRDC, over $6 billion of taxpayers' money disappeared and they don't even know where it went. They investigated like, yeah, we don't know where it went. I guarantee I can tell you where it went, somebody's pocket. Somebody has the money, didn't get where it was supposed to go, okay? Now, remember, the structure of government is by the people, for the people. They're supposed to come alongside to serve humanity, to better, better manage the affairs of humanity, not to build their own bank accounts. So... How many know in Canada the freedoms that we've taken for granted for a long time are slowly being stripped away? Some of you don't know that. I assure you, the freedoms that you adhered to when you were young are no longer the same freedoms that you will have tomorrow and the next day. And little by little, that's eroding away. My point in going here is there are many opposing views, even in this room, on solutions, on forms of government, on systems of government, on narratives out there, on ideologies that are floating around today. Many different points of view. In fact, it would be almost impossible for me to get more than 50% of you to agree on just about any political ideology. Because that's not where our answer is. Now, I don't want you to miss the point that I'm about to make, okay? I don't want you to miss the, uh, what do they say? Is it the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees? Don't miss the forest for the trees, okay? I'm gonna use this as an illustration here to show you. There's many different views on things that are happening. For instance, some people say that Hamas, in the Palestinian state that attacked Israel, okay? Attacked Israel first, so Israel is now justified in their response where they go into the Palestinian state and they blow things up and people die. Others say that Israel is the oppressor and that Hamas was justified in attacking Israel and what they did was really just a cry for help. And then other people they blindly support Israel no matter what they do, while others feel that the Zionist state, and if you don't know what that means, it's a political ideology, is a secular version of what God intended to do. Even some Jewish people don't even agree that Israel should be a nation. Others think that the CIA started this war to draw Iran into a conflict so they could go to war with them and the politicians get rich on the process of war. Now, I just throw probably six different variables here. I'm not gonna share my opinion because my opinion doesn't matter, okay? 
what you think is right or wrong is not the point of what I'm trying to talk about here. What I'm trying to say is some of you don't even have a clue about any of this, and you're going, okay, what is he trying to get to here? I came to church today. I'm going to suggest to you God does not take a side in every conflict that you see. There's some conflicts where God will get involved and God will take a side and he will fight on behalf of someone. But in every conflict you see, God is not going to take a side. And I'm going to tell you why. When Jesus died, he died for the Jewish people and he died for the Palestinians. And he died for me and he died for you. And what happens is sometimes we forget the point that Jesus died for all humans. Do you think that God in heaven wants humans to go to war with each other over political ideologies? Do you think that he wants people to take money from the poor and make them poorer so that they can get richer? Do you think that God wants governments to oppress people? Or do you think that God wants people to be free in Jesus? See, we have to be careful not to label entire people groups based on the actions of some. Throughout history, some people do things and everybody gets labeled. Okay? And the greater point that I'm trying to make is, and I'm just pointing out one little thing, okay? The world, to some degree at this point, has gone crazy. It's gone off the rails. It's not the Canada that you grew up in. The world has changed. Things are different than they used to be. There's a lot of chaos out there. And some of you have chaos in your own life. Your own mind, your own family, your own workplace, your own community, your own church, your own workplace. I think I said that. Your own city, your own province, your own nation, and the countries of the world. How many know there's a lot of crazy out there right now? Jesus says it doesn't matter what's happening to you, around you, in your arena. He says, I will keep you. I will keep you. You can come to a place of peace only in Christ. Let's look at Hebrews 11. Now, Hebrews 11 is known as the Heroes of Faith chapter in the Bible. And it talks about some people that believed God. Like, think about Noah. He was one of the last righteous people on the planet, of pure human stock for all practical intents and purposes. And for 100, 120 years, he built an ark when they had never seen rain, and his message was repent because God's going to destroy the earth with the flood, and he's building a big boat, but they've never seen rain. Now think about that. I'll say it was a conspiracy theory until God shut the door and it started to rain. <laughs> and boy, did they change their minds quickly. No, they didn't. So... Then there was other guys like Abraham, who God said he was going to bring forth a nation, but he didn't see a nation come forth until long after he was in the grave. And I'm going to pick up in verse 33, 
It says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Sounds like Daniel or the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego was the names that they were given when they went into the furnace because they denied worshiping a false god. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But then there's this word in there, but. Everyone see that? But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. So why is it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up to the king, defied his orders to worship the false god, and they went into the fire, and they weren't even burned or singed or no smoke on them, and they walked out? And another guy, I think it was Jeremiah, he's preaching, and they stick him in a log, and they saw him in half. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword, and some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Why is it that some people never saw the promise in their lifetime? Some people received the promise in their lifetime. Some people were miraculously delivered, and others were horribly put to death and persecuted. Why is it? I don't have a clue. I really don't know. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) But I can tell you this. It doesn't matter what you are going through, what your circumstance is. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. It doesn't matter where you're coming from, what you've done, how you got here today. God says, I will keep you. And when Jesus says, I will keep you, he's talking about simply this. We can go and be with him forever in heaven, and no one can take that away from us. No one can take that away from us. First John 5, all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. This is what God says. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. And I've written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This scripture right here that I just read to you lets you know that you can know that you know in your heart of hearts, in your deepest place within you, in the deepest recess of your, you can know that God says that you can have eternal life with him. God says you have what they call an assurance of salvation. But I want to point out a couple things that the scriptures teach, and then I'm going to go to the next thing. See, the scripture talks about faith without corresponding actions is useless. 
So it's not just saying, I believe in God that kind of separates you and puts you in this place where you can assure that you're in your place with God forever. Because implied within believing is a response. Does everyone hear me? I can tell my wife how much I love her, but if I never spend any time with her, do you think she's going to believe me? Anyone? Thank you. Whoever said no. Okay. It's not what we say. It's what we do. My actions have to line up with my words. Come on now. When we say we love God, do we act accordingly? Do we, live a, do we live a life that lines up with obedience to what the scriptures say is believing? Your actions don't save you. It's your faith that saves you. But your faith always produces corresponding actions. I'll go back to telling my wife how much I love her. Some of you need to golf less. Some of you need to stop hanging out with the boys and start hanging out with your wife. And some of you need to stop going out with the gals and start hanging out with your husband. Your time is a good reflection of what's important to you. Your relationship with God is paramount. Christ wants relationship with you and he died so that you could have relationship with him. So by faith in his sacrifice, it gives you the ability to have a relationship with him. If you have a relationship with him, you've assured your place in heaven because you've believed in his sacrifice, you've repented of your sins. And obviously, your actions go in line with your faith profession. It's quiet. We can have an assurance of salvation in Christ. But some in this room today, maybe more than one or two, there was this guy that lived, I don't know, at the end of the 15th century. Was he a mystic, a poet, a saint? I don't know. His name was St. John of the Cross. But he has these conversations or this poem that he wrote called The Dark Night of the Soul. And he's talking about a crisis in your faith. And some of you have had a crisis in your faith or you've been at this place where your faith is, you're questioning your faith. Has anyone ever questioned your faith? It's good to question your faith. That's okay. God's got big shoulders. He can handle your questions, I promise. Okay. But these crises in faith where people, you know, have you ever been in a circumstance or a situation where it doesn't line up with what you believe to be truth? Your circumstance and your faith are not aligning or how about your health? The scriptures teach in 2 Peter 2.24 that by his stripes we're healed, but sometimes we struggle with sickness in our body. There's a contradiction in our faith there. There's something that's not lining up because we know that we're healed and we can receive healing from Jesus, but sometimes we're walking out disease. That creates a crisis in our faith. Has anyone ever been there? Some of you are still there. Your finances are challenged despite your faithfulness in trying to be a cheerful giver. Will you put God first with your giving? 
you put God first in taking care of the poor? Or how about some of you, your marriage is struggling despite the fact that you want to try to honor your covenant, but you're, there's this fight to keep the covenant and you're, you're trying, but it's not working how you want it to work. Some of you look around and it seems like hope is fading. You look at all the things happening in the world and you go, there's no hope. It's a desperate situation. Have you ever felt attacked for doing the right thing? These things create crisis in our faith. God, is your word really true? Did you really say that, God? Because I'm going to stand on the promise in your word, even though it doesn't look like that in front of my eyes right now. In Hebrews 11 that we read earlier, Abraham, how long was it between the time God promised him a son and the time that Sarah actually gave birth to Isaac? Long after her childbearing days were over. Was God's word not true in all the time in between? You always inherit promises by faith and patience. Which leads me to Romans 8. Interesting, Romans 8, 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? What do you think? Bible says nothing can, but can anything? He asks the question. Then he says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Have you ever felt like God doesn't love you because you have some trouble or calamity in your life? Come on. Have you ever felt like God doesn't love you because you're just not worthy anymore because you messed up? Then he says, or are persecuted. Have you ever felt like God doesn't love you because you've persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then he ties this in, in this conversation about how much God loves us. He says, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day and we're being slaughtered like sheep. Okay, Paul, I don't hear about this anymore. Paul, we're good. I don't need to be killed every day. I don't need to be slaughtered like sheep. But the truth is, when you stand up for what's right in a world that's living for what's wrong, guess what's going to happen? Persecution. There's going to be some resistance. There's going to be some pushback. And then he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. We need to be rooted in the love of God. But that resistance, you know what it produces in your life over time? Resilience, faith, hope, love, maturity. These are the things that God's working out inside of us when there's resistance. I mean, hey, if I want my muscles to be stronger, I can do some resistance training, right? Because I assure you, the stage isn't going to move. But by pushing on it long enough, my arms will get stronger. Hopefully, I do it right and consistently enough. Resistance, it produces that. It produ See, God is working things out inside of our lives, and he doesn't always do it according to our plan. 
Then he goes on in verse 38 and he says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death or life. Wow, that's pretty, uh, how many know death is pretty final to humans? Except that when you leave this earth suit, you go to be with Christ as a Christ follower, as a Christian. So if you're a Christian, to live is great, to die is great. It's a win-win. What did they say, a win-win-win? It's a win. We don't seek death, but when death comes, great. We get to go be with Jesus, which is, by the way, our eternal place. Just keep in mind, this life is just the temporary part of the journey. This is the short part of your journey, the, the very minute part of probationary part of your journey. This is the testing part of your journey. The eternal part of your journey is determined by how you handle the very short testing part of your journey, which is like a vapor this life. It's like a mist. You know what that means? You ever take a spray bottle and go into the air and what happens? In about 10 seconds, it's gone. It's like a vapor. It's there and it's gone. That's this life. The real life, eternal life that Christ says, I'm gonna keep you forever. That's the part that we really live for. But so many times we put the emphasis on here and now, and I want it now, and I'm selfish, and I'm greedy, and I want what I want, and I want it now. None of you would ever do that, though. Death or life. Neither angels or demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. How many know there's a temptation to have some fears for today or some worries about tomorrow? anyone looked around and said, whoa, what kind of world are we leaving for our kids? I've heard that two or three or 400 times. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in sky above or on earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God has revealed his great love to you in Jesus and Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. And when you know him and you have relationship with him, inherent within that, you believe in his sacrifice, you've confessed your sins, and you're doing life with Jesus, he says, I will keep you. I will keep you. He's not gonna lose anyone that God has entrusted to his care except the people that choose to walk away and don't want to do relationship with him, a.k.a., or, or for instance, look at Judas. Jesus had 12 entrusted to him. He kept 11 out of the 12, but even one of Jesus' own 12 that spent three and a half years wandering around with him, perfect in love, perfect in example, perfect in his teaching, perfect in his guidance, perfect in his training and equipping, perfect in his mentoring. Judas still chose, chose to not know him and walk away. And he looked to what the deceitfulness of riches. Money took a higher place in Judas's heart than the words of life that Jesus taught. Dangerous place to sit, Okay. Gives me hope as a pastor. If Jesus lost one, I might lose some too. I'm not anywhere near as perfect as him. 
But the point is, all of us are in this journey, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You can choose to walk away from him, but nothing can take that from you. You want to do a relationship with Jesus? Even when you fall down, Jesus understands and knows that we're going to mess up. But when I fall, I shall arise. Don't stay in this way of sin. Get up. Repent. Keep moving forward. That's why he made provision for us at the cross for all of our sin before we were even born. Do you know that for everyone living today, before you were even conceived, before you even dreamed about, before anyone put a name on you, Christ died. And he says, I'm going to keep you and no one can take you from me if you want to be in relationship with me. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter how messed up your world is right now. If you acknowledge him, do relationship with him, you can be with him and he will keep you and no one can take that from you. Stand up with me. So, some of you may not have been able to obtain a communion element today. I'm sorry, we're trying to source them right now. All this plastic stuff has put a little hamper on their ability to produce these things. So some of you are going to partake with air communion wafers today, but that's okay. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we have bread that represents your body that was broken for us. Lord, we acknowledge our great need for you. We acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. It's not our good works. It's not even our positive confessions. It's, it's the blood of Jesus that saved us. And Lord, we know that Jesus went to the cross and was broken for our sin, to, to free us from curse, for forgiveness, to heal our bodies and our minds. So as we're here today as a family, Lord, I thank you that we can declare life and health and peace. Life to the bodies that are struggling with sickness and disease, as your word says, you healed us. Peace to the minds that are so tormented and troubled right now. Father, I thank you that you speak better words over us. Words like, I will keep you, I will preserve you, I love you. So today, Lord, as a family, we thank you that we can partake and declare your death. So we look at the cup, the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. And you died to free us from sin and shame, all curses. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Nothing's ever going to change that. We can choose to love you or to walk away from you. 
you gave us freedom of choice. Father, I thank you for the men and women here today that we, your people, choose to lift up the name of Jesus. We choose to glorify your name. We choose to have relationship with you, our creator, today. So Father, help us as we forgive others. Help us as we lay down our lives and take up our cross each day. Help us to flee sin. Help us to walk in love towards others in Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor. On December, and that's called, excuse me, that event celebrated by the, the Jewish people around the world, but should be celebrated by us, the body of Christ. It's the festival of lights known as Hanukkah, and this is a festival that Jesus participated in. And just a, a brief background on the, the history of the event that led forth to a civic holiday called Hanukkah. Israel was, uh, had been invaded uh, about uh, 200 years before Christ was born. About 150 years before that, the temple was desecrated by a Syrian Greek culture, um, um, and, and they had forbidden, as rulers of the land, they had forbidden the worship of God and, and the following of any of the Jewish practices, biblical practices. But there was uh, some people of faith who stood against the culture, and they rose up, and they, they actually pushed the Greek uh, Syrian world out of the, of the Holy Land and they rededicated the temple. And there was a miracle because in the rededication of the temple, they had to, to rekindle the eternal light that burnt in the, in, the, in the temple, but they didn't have enough holy oil, consecrated oil, for the lamp to be kindled and continue burning because they only had a one-day supply. And so God shows up, the same God who will keep us shows up, and the miracle was that the one-day supply burnt for eight days. And I think the, the message in this for us today in, in the culture we're living in as believers is that they didn't come up with their own solution. Uh, the reason we're talking about these men 2,000, 2,200 years ago is because they trusted God. They didn't think in their minds, you know, we only have one-day supply, let's run over to Walmart, get some Mazzola, and God knows our heart, and the candle will, the lantern will burn for eight days. No, they waited on God, and again, today we're talking about them because God showed up. They did not compromise. So our benediction today, I will keep you, begins. When the culture soft-sells compromise and promotes darkness, don't be dismayed. Be strong in the Lord. God will keep you. When family, friends, and colleagues blow you off and even criticize you, be strong. Walk in love. God will keep you. He is Jehovah Nisi, your banner. When you feel alone, prayers remain unanswered. Take courage. God will keep you. He is El Roy, the God who is present to us and aware of our needs. 
When costs go up and the financial pressures of life overtake you, keep trusting God. God will keep you. He is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. When health issues arise or the report is not good, trust and stand on God's word. God will keep you. He is Jehovah Rapha, your healer. When you fall short or fall into sin, repent and stand in his finished work at the cross. God's God in Messiah's righteousness will keep you. He is Jehovah Sekenu, the Lord your righteousness. When the media, education, the culture, and even governments go off course, as they often do, when truth and righteousness are in very short supply, do not fear. God will keep you. He is the word with every answer and encouragement we need that became flesh and dwelt among us. Windsor Christian Fellowship, let your light shine. You are an eighth-day people. With these truths, Windsor Christian Fellowship, go be. Amen.